appreciate being here with you. And like Gio said, this is the first time that I've been able to speak since I had an injury. I was supposed to speak the following Sunday, and then, well, I was in bed for a few months, so that didn't work out really well. But I do appreciate being able to sing with you, being able to take communion with you. And I also appreciate AJ and Lori. Wanted to wish you a very happy anniversary, yes. first anniversary. We had a very nice time up in Bass Lake with you last year, and I was thinking about that this weekend. So we really wanted to say congratulations to the both of you. I'd like to talk to us today about us. I'd like to talk to us today about this people group right here. Whether this is your first time here, 100th time here, Maybe you're here from the very beginning. I want to talk about us and what makes us unique, what makes us different. And for that matter, who we're supposed to be. I mean, let's think about that for a moment. Who gets to make the rules about how this group is supposed to be? I'd say it's the person who created it. It's Jesus. He's the one who gets to decide what this group should be like. I think that God created us. My faith says that God created me, created all of you, and because of that, he created a special group here. He created a group that was going to be best for your faith, to support you in your faith. It's also going to be best to bring people to their faith when they come here. It's a welcoming, warm, loving, supportive environment. So we have all of that right here available to us, or at least that's the way it's supposed to be. But sometimes if we're not careful, if we don't stop and think about it, if we don't look to the scriptures, look to the Bible, look to Jesus, unfortunately, we can delude it. That's typically what ends up happening. I mean, let's face it, sometimes, you know, we're satisfied at church if we attend and we show up and we just don't argue with anybody. That's good enough, you know, like, they just don't cause problems and, you know, be here. Sometimes we can get satisfied with that, but that was never the intention that God created. He created us for a lot more than that. In the New Testament, he, should, he tells us three metaphors, three things, and those three metaphors help us to understand who we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Metaphors are things that we see in everyday life, and then we can look at those and kind of understand what it is about us to understand complex things like right. what this group is supposed to be. The three metaphors that he uses is a body, is a bride, and is a building, those three things. So when he says you're a body, well, we have, we've all seen a body every day. We know that we're interconnected. We know that we're a bunch of parts. Most of the parts do different stuff. And well, we're pretty widely affected throughout the body if any part of it is damaged or hurting. It all works together. And then we think about a bride, smiling, pure, feeling loved, feeling chosen, feeling cherished. That's how we want you to feel also. And then he talks about us being a building. Think about a building, four walls with the foundation of Jesus, roof, all of it leaning against each other, all of it getting strength and support. So he's intending for us in this group right here that I can lean on someone if I'm hurting. And you know what? Over here, that someone can lean on me too. So does that describe us? Body? A bride? Do we celebrate like a bride? Like, wow, this is so great. Do we do that together? Are we in a building where we can lean on each other, find support, find shelter? Well, I think that there's a lot of things that we could look at. Let's go ahead and look directly right now at John chapter 17. If you want to turn over there with me, we're going to be looking at some of Jesus' words when he was talking about us as a people group. 
besides using those metaphors, there are some direct things that Jesus said that I think are very helpful for us. So we're going to be reading up on the screen, or you can turn there in John 17. And I want to set the scene for you before we read it. Before we read it, I'd like to remind you that this was a time where Jesus had you in mind. He had you in mind at the time, right before he went to the cross. You know, a lot of people talk about when Jesus was arrested, he was beaten, he was crucified, and he rose again. And immediately before that, did you know that he talked about Shoreline Church? Now, he brought you up. That was what was on his mind. If that's what I was facing, and maybe you, you wouldn't be thinking that. I wouldn't be thinking that. I'd be thinking, how am I, okay, i got to do this right. But he was thinking all the way to Shoreline Church in Oxnard, California. How do we know that? That's what he said to his father when he prayed. And when he prayed, what did he say? Let's take a look. John 17. And in verse 20, right after praying for those immediately close to him, Jesus said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one, as we are one. I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You got an inside sneak peek right there at what Jesus was saying to God, his Father. And let's look directly at verse 21 at what it says. Let's not miss these three words. May they be one. May they be one. All of them may be one together. That's what he was looking for. May they be one, Father, just as I, you are in me and I am in you. That's a lot of closeness. You know, if you've spent any time around the Christian faith, they're going to talk about the Holy Trinity. They're going to talk about the Father like, and the Son and the Spirit like Gio did earlier. And this is an incredibly mysterious thing, that there's these three entities that are completely separate and completely different, yet somehow all one. Not forming a group, but forming one. So three completely separate, but one all in the same. You got it? Can you explain it? If you can, if you can you're up here next week. Because <laughs> I can't quite explain that one, and nor do I totally understand it. I put my faith in it. And I'm okay. I, I heard a quote a ways back that said, you know, a God you can totally understand is really no God at all. So I'm okay with not understanding the nature of God. And maybe you're okay with that too. But either way, look at what he said right there. That mystery, that togetherness is supposed to describe us. We're supposed to be so close to this can't really be explained. You can kind of talk about it and maybe make some analogies, but this church, this people group, you right here, are supposed to be so close that you go, I can't really describe how close these people are. How they're bonded in mind, bonded in heart, bonded in purpose, the things they do, the things they say. Together as one, but still different. I mean, they're a bunch of different people. Is that us? Are we mysteriously close? Because that's the goal of Jesus, right there, right there. That's the goal of Jesus. That's what he said, mysteriously close. 
is what he's looking for, just like the Trinity. And if people can't explain the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and how they're all somehow one but somehow separate, maybe they shouldn't be able to describe us either. That's the goal. That's what Jesus was looking for when he saw this people group. And if we look at verse 21 there, then he says, May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. This is the way that Jesus decided with this people group that the world is going to be influenced. Not by clever sayings, not by the right theology necessarily by itself, but instead that this group would somehow, with their supernatural closeness, would supernaturally draw people to come to faith in Jesus. That's part of the plan. Not just knowing what is right, but seeing what love looks like in real life. So that's the goal. And that's where we are. And that's what we're pursuing. Does that sound harder than just showing up to church, doesn't it? It sounds more difficult. Sounds like it might actually cost us a lot to do something like that. So what motivation do we have to do that then? I think that the motivation is right here in this passage. Because the ironic thing is, if you're living a Christian life, you're spending a lot of time focusing on Jesus, you're praying to Jesus, you're saying, Jesus, please help me. I know you're a healer. I know that you can can heal this person of cancer. I know that you can help me in this situation. Jesus, please bring me peace. We pray to Jesus over and over again. A lot of times, pray to God, pray to the Spirit. But in this case, do you see the irony? Jesus prayed to God that we would be close. And God, in his wisdom, looks to us and says, okay, you answer that prayer. We look at Jesus and we say, please answer my prayer. Please heal. Please provide me peace. And when Jesus prayed to God that we would be close, God looked at us and said, okay, are you going to answer Jesus' prayer? He left it on us to answer Jesus' prayer. In his wisdom, he decided... Okay, if Jesus' prayer is going to come true, who's going to answer it? It's going to be you. It's going to be me. We're going to be the ones to either say yes or no to Jesus' prayer in this incredible stroke of irony where we usually pray to him. And the one time we could see here that I can think of where he was praying to God and all of a sudden God in the future says, okay, you answer that prayer. That's my motivation. Nobody's ever done for me what Jesus did for me, ever, or even close. And so if he asks for anything, I'll do it. And I hope you feel the same way. I hope that's tremendous motivation for you. To see that the the bar is set very high. I mean, the the bar is set as close to Jesus is with God. That's how close we should be with each other. That person sitting next to you. Yeah, them. And yet, where's the motivation to put all that energy in? Right there. It's the guy who died for us is asking us to do it. So I hope that that's a lot of motivation for you to think about the type of group that we are supposed to be. I'd like to take a look at another scripture also. Because not only did Jesus have intention for us, and we could see it in his prayer, but also we see his example for us. I'd like you to turn over to Mark 3 if you're going to be turning there. If not, I'll have it up on the screen and we'll read it together. In Mark 3, let me set the scene for you. Jesus is not at the end of his ministry like he was in the previous scripture, but he's at the beginning of his ministry. He just got done with all these years of carpentry and said, okay, now is my time. I'm going to be moving forward. I'm going to start preaching. So he starts healing and he starts preaching and immediately gets a name for himself. But it's not really for himself. It's for God. 
but he's influencing people. People are stunned. Why are they stunned? Never seen the lame walk. I haven't seen lepers get cleansed like that. Plus the way that he speaks. He speaks with this authority and knowledge and wisdom, and he's moving people in ways that they haven't been moved before. So he's in a packed house, right? He's drawn a lot of crowd. He's in a packed house, and this is what happens. Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here's my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. I want to take you to that place with him. Jesus is there. You're pretty amazed, like he's blowing your mind. He's saying some stuff that's got a lot of wisdom, a lot of knowledge, and you're like, I haven't heard this kind of stuff before. There's all kind of walks of life. Some people are educated, some are religious leaders, and some are just everyday average people. He's in this house, he's teaching, and you're listening to him, and you're just thinking, I can't, wow, okay, this is really a lot. And then I saw this guy get healed, my mind is full. And then, once your mind is full of all of this teaching and all of this knowledge and all everything else, what happens? Mm-hmm. Somebody comes in and says, uh, your mom and your brothers are here. Oh, I'd be thinking, oh, well, that was a great night. I'm going to start packing my stuff. I'm ready to go. Yeah, it was great. I mean, totally appreciated all that. And maybe, just maybe, that's what everybody started doing. And in that moment, Jesus said, you know what you can go tell them? And maybe the room got kind of quiet like this one. And I would stop and I would look at him and go, okay, now what? And Jesus says, you go tell them. I'm going to be with my brother here and my sister and my mother. And maybe he looks right at you and he says it. You are my brother. You are my sister. You are like a mother to me. Because we share faith. And maybe he'd been filling your head with great knowledge, but in that moment he fills your heart. Because you go, wait a second, I'm wanted like that? You want to pull me in like that? I've never been wanted in my whole life like that or anywhere close. I don't have people asking me like that. And Jesus now gives you this idea that it's not just about me giving you knowledge. I want to bring you close. Because see, you're now, this, was, this might be an old thought to us. This is a new thought to them. They'd never heard the fact that someone was going to call you family. Because family meant that you were going to rely on each other. Family meant that you were going to live together. That this was going to be all of us together. And Jesus now enters the picture and says, this is what it's going to be like when we're together mm. as family. Yeah. And I'd even be willing to give up in this moment my mother and my brothers. I'm willing to tell them, not right now. I'm going to be with my spiritual family. I'm going to be with my faith community. I'm going to be together with them. And that had to fill the people that they were chosen. That had to make them feel like a bride. That had to make them feel like Jesus wants me. And that's a pretty phenomenal feeling because we can get the same feeling today. 
But this is what Jesus wants from us. He wants to be together with us. He wants to call us family. So that's the example he sets, that sometimes I'm going to be willing to give up my family. I'm going to be willing to give up something to be together with my faith community. Sometimes some of us have to say the same things. Yeah. We've got to tell our boss, I can't take that promotion right now. It's going to take me away from my faith community. You go tell my boss, I need to be with my faith community. Some of us have to stop and say, you go tell the NFL or you go tell Netflix. I've got to be with my faith community right now. Mm-hmm. You go tell those video games, you're going to have to play themselves right now because I'm not going. I've got to be with my faith community. All those things I mentioned, are they bad things? Of course not. But neither is being with your mother or your brothers. That's a good thing too. Sometimes we have to set aside something good to get to something better. And that's Jesus' example. This is going to take a lot of sacrifice for us to do that. And we have to live that sacrifice. We have to be like that if that is the kind of church we want to have. If that's the kind of people group we want to be. Because what I'm seeing is that that's the kind of people group we're called to be. Are we ready for that? Do you see it? You know, a lot of the times when we see scriptures like this, we really start thinking about what this group should be for each other and what it can be for anyone else who decides to join. We don't necessarily disagree. We see Jesus' prayer. We see his example of giving up, risking his family in order to be together with his people group like this, with his church. And we say to ourselves, okay, I don't disagree with that, but... I don't know if I can do it. Or maybe you say, I don't know how to do it. If you don't know how to do it, try this. Spend time with this group outside of church. And when you're there, believe that Jesus wants to do something special to bond you really close with each other. Pray first. Prepare to meet them. And then when you're there, be present. Not thinking about something else. Not thinking about the next thing or the last thing or the current thing or whatever's happening on your phone. Be present. Be deep. Mm -hmm. Be honest. And as you grow to do that with each other, you can invite other people along with you, coworkers, neighbors, whoever you want. You remember in the fourth grade, the way it used to be? You'd be like, hey, I'm playing with my friend. You see your other friend, you're like, hey, you want to go play on the swings with us? It's not so different than that. Hey, I'm watching the game tonight. You want to come? Sure. Yeah, my friend from church is coming. You can come. That's the idea, I think, with Jesus' church. And then when other people see the closeness and the bond that was intended to be there, yeah. they'll realize there's something more to it than just nice people. Yeah. This church was never meant to be just a bunch of people who are friendly or nice, but really bonded right. at heart. And sometimes you might feel like, I can't do it. You know what? I... I don't have it in me. I can't do it. And that's okay. It really is. Because what you're being asked to do is something different or something more than you're capable of. You're not capable of doing that on your own. So to feel overwhelmed, to feel like this is something that that would be really challenging for you to do is natural, is normal. But your faith can overcome that. And you can then do this. You can get in a group of people who love you just for who you are. Who wants you to be better, but if you're not, love you the same. Yeah. That's the idea 
this closeness, no matter what happens. If you feel like that's overwhelming to you, okay, I understand. But you still, you can do it. So what's stopping you? Think for a moment. What stops you from having those relationships? Quite frankly, a lot of things, right? There's a lot of things that stop you from having relationships like that. We're going to look at a couple. We're going to look at a couple. But I, I, I ask you to think about that question. What is it that's stopping me from having relationships that are so close they can't be explained, that are almost mysterious, kind of like the Trinity? The relationship that Jesus prayed about us having. What is it that stops us from having a relationship like that? So let's look at one thing that might stop us. I'm going to be reading the parable of the sower to us. And the reason I'm reading that is because I, I, I find it uh, fantastic. I find it marvelous. I know Gio uh, referenced it and read part of it in last week's sermon. But I find it fantastic because it's an incredible predictor of human behavior. Jesus said, when my word goes out there, one of four things is going to happen. So if I tell you what kind of people group, what kind of church I want you to be, one of four things is going to happen with you in your heart, in your mind. One of four. And to be able to do that is pretty cool that he can categorize us into one of four categories. So let's take a look at that. This is when a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town. He told this parable, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on the rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up, yielded a crop, oh, I'm sorry, with it, and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. When he said this, he called out, wherever has ears, let him hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seeds of the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy, and when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a little while, but in time of testing, they fall away. Seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. I think this is one of those parables that we could stand to read every week. Yeah. I do. I read this parable fairly often, and I hope you do too, especially when some information is pivotal comes to you, like information about who we should be as people. Not what our Sundays should be like, but our Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, yeah. Thursdays, and so on. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. And so the word of God, it says, is the seed. And the word of God is coming when you look at Jesus' prayer and when you look at his example with his mother and brothers. The word of God has come to us today to, to show us how close we should be. And we're probably going to have one of four reactions. You may have heard it and you may say, well, okay, uh, sounds good. I'm not planning on doing anything with it. Well, then probably the seed fell on the path. 
And maybe you say, gosh, you know what? I, should, I, I know that's what I need to do. I'm inspired to do it. I want to please Jesus. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that Jesus' prayer gets answered with a yes. I'm going to try and connect with people. And then if that doesn't work out the first time someone doesn't return your call, psh, maybe we give up. Okay. And then I'd like to focus more on the next soil in verse 14. Because I think sometimes that's easy to fall into. It says that they start to go for a little while. They start to do and obey for a little while. And then what happens? Life's worries, riches, and pleasures choke out the word of life. You think about riches. And sometimes we can get pretty hooked on our quality of life. We can start thinking about, but this is what I'm used to. This is what I usually have. This is my lifestyle. I'm trying to build my career here. There's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. But the moment it goes beyond where it should go, God's purpose for you, it starts to choke you slowly. And it starts to be a burden on you in ways that you weren't expecting. Before, it was a good thing. Hey, my career, lifestyle is okay. But then, as I became more and more attracted to that than I was the Word of God, it started to choke me. That can happen. Sometimes it's pleasures. Do we all need personal time? Yeah, we all need personal time. Absolutely. Big believer in it. And I hope you have some for yourself. However, personal time can start to become a lifestyle. And not just a way of recharging so that we can get back into spiritual battle. The best thing that we could do is give ourselves to God and give ourselves to people. And when we start to wear down, get some personal time and recharge. But when personal time becomes what we do and we're on, get a little annoyed because we've got to interrupt our personal time in order to do the things that God wants us to do, I think we need to watch out because that might be choking us. And if we think of the analogy of choking, I don't think that that was by accident. Yeah. Because when you get choked, if you've ever been choked, oh, it yeah. does not take long That's before right. you start to really feel the effects of That's it. Right. And you think, just a moment ago, I was fine. I was doing pretty good. And all of a sudden, I can't breathe. Yeah. And things are getting hazy. It happens fast. It happens fast. And so, we have to be careful. Jesus was willing to sacrifice his family. He was willing to sacrifice with his example, his time and his mother, his time and his brothers. He disobeyed them directly when they called for him. He was willing to give them up. He was willing to give up the security of his people. Are we willing to give up our riches and pleasures for these people here? Are we willing to give up anything that we need to in order to obey God's word. I think we have to look at this parable of the sower and decide with God, how are we taking this in? How are we doing this? What are we doing? Because you you can get help from other people, and I suggest you do. I think that's great, but really this is about you and God connecting and him showing you where you are. That's one reason. So worries, riches, pleasures, that's one reason, that's one small example of why we may not be willing or able to give 
and become the people group that Jesus wants us to be. Because let's face it, if we go so far as to uh, get into a career where we're trying to build riches, then it takes our energy. It takes our time. And then once we've spent our time at work, the more stress that it causes, the more we need downtime in order to recuperate from that. And then pretty soon we've spent all our time either working or recuperating and then we have nothing left. It's not that your heart is wicked. It's that we get tricked by an enemy who tells us, no, trust me, this money will make you happy. Just keep going. Take another step. Go on. Go on. It'll be fine. And we get tricked. And then we are so tired we forget that this was the intention that Jesus had set up. And this is what Jesus was sacrificing for. That I would sacrifice for you. And you would sacrifice for me. And it makes it all worth it knowing that Jesus was saying, you are my brother. You're my sister. Yeah. I want to be family with you. And this is not for this life. This is going to last forever. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one reason why maybe we wouldn't do that. Maybe we wouldn't want to or feel that we're able to be the people group, the church that God wants us to be. But are there any other reasons? Of course. We already said there's lots of other potential reasons. I'd like to bring up one more. and then We'll kind of finish up, I'm sure. Maybe you're waiting for me to finish up anyway. But when, it's, when, when we're talking about the things of God, I, I, I hope that we're yeah. eager to learn. And one of the things that I think happens to us all is we get hurt, is we get injured, we get offended by other people here at church. And when we read this proverb, we can see a brother wronged is more unyielding than a fortified city. Disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel, Proverbs 18, 19. When we get hurt, when we get offended, especially by people we're supposed to be close to, up go the walls. I've done it. You've done it. Locked are the gates. Mm-mm. You ever heard the term, hey, first time you hurt me, shame on you. Second time you hurt me, shame on me. That's not the Bible. Jesus is saying something different. He says, turn the other cheek, let him hit you again. That's, that's not a fun concept when you're in the middle of pain. This is more like it. This is more what we want to do. Let's not shut the castle. I've been hurt. And the pain is real. So what happens then? We're supposed to be developing this closeness and this bond. And it's, it's, it's beautiful. You have this connection. You, you, you have ways of bonding with other people that, that you never even thought possible. And then you get hurt because with that closeness comes vulnerability. And now I'm vulnerable. Now I'm left open in ways I swear I'd never let anybody hurt me again before I was a Christian. And now I'm doing it and now I'm hurt again. What I'd like to remind us in these moments, brothers and sisters, is that there's more happening. There's more at play than we realize when someone hurts us. We have an enemy that's actively working against us to hurt us through each other because he knows that is the most vulnerable way to hurt us a lot of times is through the people we trust the most. I'm going to kind of finish up here with a story that I hope portrays that for you. There once was a reporter, and that reporter decided, I always wish I could have the ultimate story. And so the ultimate story for him was not interviewing God, but instead interviewing the devil. And he goes, gosh, I wish I could interview the devil. I think that would be such a compelling interview. I'd probably get a million hits online if I did that. 
So he had this wish, and then one day, phone rings, and he picks it up. And he says, this is Lucifer. I heard that you've been hearing, you've been wanting to interview me. That's what I hear. He goes, yes, absolutely. I would want to interview you. When can we do it? The devil says, I'm always ready to come in contact with you. And don't worry, I'll come to you. I always do. He comes to his office the next day. And he walks in. The interviewer, the reporter, is not sure what to expect. He says, gosh, is he going to come in with a pitchfork, red face, all that stuff, horns? No, of course not. Lucifer comes in, suave, smooth, debonair. Almost floats in the room. Giving the reporter this simultaneous feeling of feeling calm, and yet somehow something's not quite right. And he noticed the fancy suit, the clean hair, everything, and he also noticed his dirty back was in his hand. So immediately the reporter, being the inquisitive type, says, Hey, uh, Lucifer, what's in the back? He says, Well, these are my tools for separating Christians. I carry them with me everywhere I go, even when I dress nicely. What's in the bag? Go ahead, take a look. So the reporter takes the bag. Hmm. Wow. You got a favorite out of all these tools? He said, yeah, I sure do. Why don't you go ahead and take a look? Take a guess yourself. See what you think is the favorite. Okay. Hmm. Oh. Yeah, there it is. Hammer, blunt on one side, sharp on the other. Oh, I bet you could do damage with that. You just come in, you see Christians together, you're driving them. Oh, yeah, I can see when you flip. Oh, yeah, I can see where this could do a lot of damage. When you see Christians together, you want to break them apart. This has got to be your favorite tool. Lucifer says, no, not at all. See, it really doesn't even work. Christians have armor, and you can read about it in Ephesians 6. It doesn't, doesn't do much. Oh, the reporter says, okay. Was. Look at that. That looks wicked. This must be your favorite. Yeah, yeah. What do you do with this thing? He says, well, I take it and I poke holes in people's beliefs. I poke holes in what they think is true. I poke holes in all and give them reason to not have stability. I poke holes and poke holes and poke holes. And that's what this is for. Pretty wicked looking. Definitely not my favorite. Why is that not your favorite? It doesn't work. Can't poke holes in the truth. It just doesn't, just doesn't do anything. Okay. Uh, I see it. I see it. That has got to be your favorite. Yeah, because what you do is I'm imagining the reporter says to Lucifer that you grab it and you twist it around people and you pull them apart when you're trying to separate Christians. You wrap them up in this, you pull them apart, and then you drag them down, you lock them down with addiction and with all kinds of different things. And I'm imagining this is really very effective. And Lucifer says, yeah, it sounds great, but it wouldn't be because I'm really not that strong. I can't pull people apart. I can only trick them. I can only get them to walk away on their own. Totally at a loss. The reporter says, I have no idea which of these is going to be your favorite. And Lucifer says, well, hand it over, I'll tell you. Without a doubt, my favorite and most often used tool is this right here. I love it. I love it. I never stop using it. You see, I use this to separate Christians. It's a simple wedge. But if you look at it, Lucifer told you, 
be reported. All I need is this much room in between them. They're supposed to be as close as close can be, but if I can get this much room, if I can see this much, then I just slip it in. And once it's there, tap, tap, just a little offensive comment. Tap, tap. Oh, were they talking about me? Maybe they were. What are they looking at me like that for? Tap, tap. Why do they, why do they think about me? And the reporter says, well, can't they just push the wedge out? The producer says, of course they can. But I'm incredibly patient. I just wait. If they notice it there, I just back away. I'll wait months, years, decades. I don't care. I got plenty of time. But the moment they let their guard down, forget it's there, I'll do little things to tap it back in. And pretty soon, they're that far apart. And then I put another one in that's bigger, and another one in that's bigger, and I keep tapping those bigger wedges until suddenly they're completely apart and not together at all. And then what happens, the reporter said, he said, well, my good friend, then I use all the other tools because they start working at that point. At that point, the interviewer said, I'm obviously in over my head. Uh, the serpent is much more clever uh, than me, as it says in Genesis and I'm leaving to left, which is the right reaction anytime you get in a situation like that. Mm -hmm. But my point is, look at the scripture. Yeah. We can put our walls up. Mm -hmm. That's the work of our enemy. We can lock those gates. That's the work of our enemy. That's him wanting to separate us. Let's not allow that. Let's think about what we talked about today. Let's leave you with that. Jesus prayed for us to be as close as the Trinity. He gave an example. I'd even be willing to give up my family, which was virtually everything back then. All of your worldly stability was in your family. I'd be willing to give that up to be with you because you mean that much to me. Why would we not do it? Maybe we're pursuing other things, riches, pleasure, something else. Or maybe we've been hurt, legitimately hurt. I've been hurt a lot. You've been hurt by me and I've been hurt by you. We've done it. But that doesn't mean we can't recover. That doesn't mean we can't push that wedge out because that's the tool that's being used on us. We can push it out and find togetherness through love, through forgiveness, which is exactly what Jesus preached over and over again. I ask you, I ask you, read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Read through the book of Acts and you tell me how close these people were. You tell me what you see. And we can start a conversation about how we could be together and how we could have closeness. And then pray. Pray. Pray that God helps you to see how you can take the next step to be together in one as he was. Because what we also see in the Gospels and in the book of Acts is that that's how people became Christians. Is through the closeness of those initial believers. Yeah. Yeah. And we're no different than them. So, with that, let's pray, and then we're going to have one final song to finish. And I hope that this lesson can go a long way for you in your faith with God and your relationships with others. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Father. Thank you so much, Jesus. Thank you so much, Spirit, for bringing us together in such a way that we could be friends with each other. Thank you for loving us and wanting to be family with us, wanting to be together with us in ways that we can't even explain. 
thank you for loving us that much and for being so kind as to give to us what we definitely don't deserve. But help us. Help us to take the next steps to bond together as family, to be faithful, to be loving, to be close, and help us to really see the value in other people that you have placed there because they're made in your image. We love you, and we want to answer yes, Jesus, to your prayer. It's incredible that you even give us the ability to answer your prayer of being close, but we want to answer that prayer with a yes. I pray that all of our hearts are moved and that all of us gain a greater love for you and for each other. Thank you again for the way that you choose us. Amen.